I interviewed two small-scale diversified urban farms using organic practices. The farmers participating on farm trials with me on the project enhanced strawberry production in North Central region through tunnel-based systems, supported by North Central SARE, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. Both the farmers are new to growing strawberries and they grow the crops in caterpillar tunnels. They shared their experience and thoughts of growing strawberries at their farms. We appreciate the financial support from North Central Sierra for this project. The following interview is with David Rock, owner of Eden Prairie Farm in Eden, Indiana, close to Indianapolis. Yeah, my name is David Robb. Um, I've been actively farming for probably for 20 years now, but involved in organic agriculture for probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. Um, uh, my, the name of my farm is Eden Prairie. Uh, right here we have 11 acres, and then we have an additional pasture and land of another 10, so a total of 21 acres. Um, I raise primarily vegetables, but also livestock. And I have some hoop houses. I have uh, uh, one uh, 50 by 30, I believe, uh, smaller. With uh, And then I have two cat tunnels, which are, are 50 feet, but what, like 12, 12 feet wide, something like that. Um, none of none of the houses are heated. They're all unheated houses. I have cut back a lot in recent years, but right now, right now it's just mostly me. Call my my the gentleman who was helping me uh, has cut back some. He's got a family. He's working full time. I first met Colleen and introduced him to the On Farm Strawberry Project. At that time, Colleen is farming at Eden Prairie. He brought this idea to David. So we have this project established last fall at Eden Prairie Farm in a new caterpillar tunnel. David first explained to me how he and Colleen prepared the soil on this site. First off, the soil we had been working the entire spring. We put lots and lots of compost into it. Actually, it was piled, a big old pile of garden waste from a long time. Uh, mixed with wood ashes. We do a lot of chickens here, so a lot of eggshells. Um, yeah, just a lot of what whatever was here and available. And there's really not a lot of manure in it. Occasionally, here and there, uh, we throw some cow manure or sheep manure in it, but uh, or chicken manure, but generally not. Um, mostly just garden waste. Um, was it professionally made compost? No. It just was the garden waste that we built up over time. David and Colleen built the 12-foot-wide, 15-foot-long cat tunnel on this side. The cat tunnel was built using caterpillar tunnel hoop vendor and the protocol from Johnny's. David said the total material cost of building the caterpillar tunnel was around $1,000. The strawberry project used half of the 12-foot-wide caterpillar tunnel. Similar to at the outlier farm, the strawberry were grown on plastic mulch with drip tape 
and planted in September 2022. There were four rows of strawberries, about 45 foot long rows. Plant spaces a foot apart between and within the rows. A total of 118 plants were planted in half of the caterpillar tunnel. The first harvest was on April 12, and the last harvest was on May 17. David and I had a discussion on the economic values of growing strawberries in his market scenario. I was pleased with the yield for two reasons. One is, we got to eat a lot of strawberries early, <clears throat> personally, in the family and whoever. Yeah. And that was just wonderful. It was like, oh, because usually you have to wait for them to show up at the market somewhere. <laughs> You know, because of the niche market I have just with chefs, they are desperate for anything fresh, local, because that's how they promote their menu. Right. You know, and usually the very first thing that you'll see local fresh is rhubarb, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and after that comes asparagus. Mm -hmm. And after that comes maybe strawberries. No. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the, what the, you normally see. Mm -hmm. And here, I had strawberries before rhubarb. Mm -hmm. And again, people are just desperate. We want a fresh fruit. <laughs> you know? And I was able to charge an extremely high price for them mm -hmm. for a few restaurants. Of course, you know, we're not talking hundreds of pounds here. Mm -hmm. Well, we did, 160, I think, overall or something like that. A pretty, a pretty good amount overall. So the yield, uh, I mean, I was happy because I could get this really good price for it. Right. And in terms of time, it was not time consuming. Believe me, it was a lot less time than like lettuce mix. Mm -hmm. So I, that, that's my other question. I want you to compare of growing strawberries because really I think the limitation of having small farmers growing strawberries is a long season. You really from last fall to spring. Right. And during that period, potentially you can grow quite a bit of lettuce. Mm -hmm. So right. Right. you use that space to grow strawberries that will sacrifice the space to grow lettuce, spinach. Right. So I want to right. understand from a small farmer's aspect, do you think it's worth this space to grow strawberries? I might be a, a poor farmer to ask that question of, mm -hmm. because um, yes, I have grown lettuce mix before, uh, spinach. I still grow. I still grow some spinach, uh, but given the size of what I have for winter production, I mean, I can't like a restaurant. I mean, they, some of them need a lot, and I can't meet that. I can only do small amounts because mm -hmm. of what I have, mm -hmm. and plus. Spinach and lettuce don't grow in January, February. Mm -hmm. They just really are not producing. Mm -hmm. Come February, yeah, you're going to get more. You know, there's only a limited market for radishes, which are another one. Greens, I've grown greens in the past, the different mustard greens, and nobody's buying them really. Um, kale, yeah, if you do markets, kale's a good one for the house in the winter because it's multiple production, just like spinach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can harvest it and they still get more and you know the leaves you just do the outer leaves so kale's another good one in the house for winter but that's for markets chefs are like ah, eh, we don't do kale anymore all right 
So I'm, I'm kind of a bad one to say, you know, what is the best here mm-hmm. in terms of sacrificing the space, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you have a market for, you know, your lettuce mix, which is a great yielder and a, and a great money maker, it's also very time consuming, lettuce mix, because you're talking first cutting it and then some three to four washes depending upon what kind of irrigation you have, whether you're spraying a lot of dirt up, splashing, splashing dirt up on your plants and stuff. Yeah, and, that, and the washing and spinning and washing, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty time consuming. So strawberry is easier to go, grow. Easier, easier, yeah, really it was just a matter of covering, uncovering, covering, uncovering. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, but, so for me, it, it was okay. It worked, and I didn't mind sacrificing the space. Mm-hmm. But people, a lot of people, if you have a good farmer's market, yeah, there's a lot of demand for those all winter. Mm-hmm. And okay. plus you have your storage crops, all your root crops from the winter okay. that you've grown and harvested in, you know, November or earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so supplement with that some fresh greens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can get, you can have a pretty good, yeah, if it's a good market and you have a good customer base, yeah. Then, Definitely, if I ask you this way, if it's a very beginning farmer, like a smaller scale, only have two either high tunnel, caterpillar tunnels, mm-hmm. and, and they want to grow, they, they want to grow full season. Right. Do you think it would be better for them to grow things like Spanish letters in the winter rather than spend that long season to grow a strawberry? Yes. Mm, yeah. You think so? Yeah. As long as they have the time and they have the market. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was thinking, if it's a more established farmer have multiple caterpillar tunnels or those, right. it probably to some point it's impossible you have all the caterpillar tunnels grow letters mix or Spanish. And right. maybe at that point, the, it's more makes sense to looking for yeah. one, devote one high tunnel to grow yeah. something yeah. else. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Take one bed like we did. You take one bed in a high tunnel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to open your other market. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But also that's like there's a whole marketing aspect to having strawberries before anybody else. Mm. It kind of establishes you as a uh, something special about this grower. Nobody else has them. Mm. So there's a real marketing value to that. Mm. Too. Do you think so. how that marketing value affect is uh, would that bring some benefit for you to sell other crops following the season? I'm not sure. Oh that's, of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. Because yeah. Once you once you hook a customer, mm. and they like you and you like them, and you just you know talk and enjoy who they are. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a hook. Yeah. 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 Something different. And okay. they'll come back and they'll check you out instead of walking by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. If you do markets and stuff. Again, I'm not necessarily a good because I I've cut way back. I have a very specialty niche. All that. But we are touching on how a little a small farmer who's starting out have hoop houses, do some farmers markets to establish your because chefs go through markets all the time. You know, establish mm-hmm. your customer base, and and then try to establish that you're, you're somehow you're special. In our conversation, David also mentioned how strawberries benefit pollinators and benefits the biodiversity at his farm. 
we have a gentleman who puts hives on our farm. And yeah, I mean, the bees were looking early. And they start coming out saying, well, what what can I get? Like dandelions, and which are great bee food. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, yes, pretty soon. And I kept, you know, I made sure actually I would open the sides of the house to make sure that the bees could find it. But you know, pollination was not through honeybees. Mm-hmm. There were, I mean, I would go in and say, well, who's pollinating these things? And there were all kinds of little flies and little winged insects and uh, just tons of them all over it, you know. Of course, we grow organically, so, you know, mm-hmm. we were not harming there in any way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, those were the pollinators, mm-hmm. not the honeybees. Now, a little later in the year, we started seeing a lot, but not, not a lot, because there was other stuff for the bees. Mm. So, um, no, in terms of biodiversity and supporting the local complexity, oh, really. Towards the end of our conversation, I took the opportunity and asked David, in his opinion, what are the most key characters for small farms to succeed in the business? I want to share what David told me to all our audience. I learned that early on, early in being in this type of agriculture, that you need to have have product, even if it's a very common product, like say kale or lettuce, or you need to have that before everybody has it, because people are hungry for it. In the early spring, people are just dying. I remember one of the first farmers markets I did. We had planted like radishes in January, or maybe it was December, a bunch of radishes. And, um, and then we came to the first farmer's market, and I think it was in March, maybe, and we had lots of radishes. And radishes are okay seller, but not that great. We sold out of all our radishes. We, we, made, we walked away with $300, which was pretty good for just radishes. So everybody was like, oh, fresh something. In a lot of the markets, you don't see that early, early. So the season extension is absolutely essential to making smaller farms work. You know, because if you can have product through to December, still some stuff in January, February, the slowest growing seasons, certainly because of lack of sunlight, and then come March, you're flush. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you, you get best price, and you can charge it because people are desperate. Yeah. You know, you want to have cucumbers, but right now they're coming on. In early June, if you can have cucumbers from your hoop houses, you get a great price. Come July or August, everybody's got cucumbers. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. And plus people's tastes. Yeah. They, they, you know, you can only eat so many cucumbers, and then you're like, well, what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I find that's true with the chefs, too, you know, you know, like early here, well, anyway, yeah. But after a while, people get tired of strawberries. We've had enough strawberries. We don't really want any more strawberries. Mm-hmm. We want something else, some other kind of fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really hard to make it as a small farm. Um, and... The ones that I see that succeed, and there's a lot of people that start them, a lot, and the ones that succeed usually 
it's two people doing it, partners, and one of them works, and the other one can devote all their time to it, and so that they can pay their bills, you know. And usually there's not people with big families and kids and all that that consumes everybody, all right? And they start small, and slowly, over several years, establish their markets, put in the time, endless, endless hours. You know, I mean, farmers markets are usually on the weekends, and so you don't have any weekends, or at least one day a week. And so that you just slowly, slowly build over time, and you build your customer base. That farmers markets are about face-to-face, -face. absolutely. And they get to know you, they want to know your story, the customers, and who you are, so you've got to be pretty outgoing. You do not sit there and get on your cell phone and scroll. It's not, you really won't make it at that point. <laughs> but they want to talk to the farmers, mm -hmm. not somebody who you've hired to run the stand. Yeah, yeah right. That makes it, so it's all about this personal face-to-face -face contact. Um, so have there been more farms, successful farms? As a matter of fact, the number of successful small farms has fallen in recent years just for the reason that it's so time-consuming and you know I mean the successful ones and, and you know they're not huge farms um, but uh, I mean there's probably a handful you know like you go to one of the major markets here in Indianapolis the broad rural market there's probably one, two, three, maybe four, three to four small farms, growers who do it full time, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And over time, there used to be more, yeah. and, they, and they've dropped. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a niche there, but, man, you've got to do it right. How, the other wrong way to do it is to walk into doing this with a lot of money and say, well, I'm going to go big. And you don't have an established customer base. You don't. It just, yeah. And you make all the wrong mistakes and spend all your money, and then pretty soon you're bust. Or something happens. Weather. I mean, there's one farmer around here who was, had a large farm, lots of hoop houses, very successful, big customer base, great farm, great guy, great, great guy and his wife and family. And... You know, a little tornado came through and destroyed all the soup houses. And at that point, he was like, and he had borrowed a lot of money to buy fancy the fanciest equipment. And so suddenly, he couldn't pay his bills, and he had to close down. So not borrowing, if, if you can, that's another real key to, in, to developing it over time, and season extension, and personality.